1: real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week individual results may vary
0: yeah nothing too wild <laughs> just um <laughs> it's still my dog it's really hot and like it's it's usually really dry in LA like very very dry and now and it's really humid today so
1: does that mean a thunderstorm is coming i mean
0: i that would be great we haven't had rain in like six months we're in the middle wow. of like, a, like the worst drought of i don't know it's just the, the whole planet is just like falling <laughs> apart right now
1: i mean i'm in scotland and not having rain for six months sounds like a parallel universe i can't quite imagine that
0: i know right how does it, is it still raining you get rain all year round right
1: yeah, I mean we had a really nice June. It was really sunny, warm, great, but July's been pretty shit. Just kind of pretty dreary. Today was nice, but one of a handful. Um where in Scotland are you? I'm up in Aberdeen at the moment. i are in the northeast.
0: When um were you from Aberdeen originally or up that way?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I came back up when all you the know, lockdowns were kind of kicking off when you know. <laughs> <it made sense. laughs>
0: the thing <laughs> happened.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it feels like this has kind of dragged on a lot longer. That oh my god, doesn't it, man? Yeah, but and like,
0: you and it's just like very unpredictable, and it's hard to make plans. And I don't know. It's just it's really changed the way you think about the future, doesn't it? Like.
1: I think in positive ways too, though I definitely oh, yeah. feel like I, I think about living in the present a lot more oh, than absolutely. I did a year ago.
0: Absolutely, but it's definitely I've I've noticed that my brain's changed just in the way that yeah, it does make you f- really f- become more present, and you just think, well, we don't know what's going to happen, so you just do what's going on today. We could we could all be locked back <laughs> up in the house in a week,
1: well, I and mean, that's going to be a good mindset for the next. 40 years because I don't know what's going to happen but I have a feeling that shit could get a little bit crazy now and again with you know global warming and where that's all going
0: definitely definitely and I mean we had we're kind of I don't know anticipating another pretty big fire season over here like we, we were on I live um northeast LA like close to the mountains and we were on evacuation watch for a month with just like and everything smelled like smoke and there was ash on everything and we were just a few miles from where there was some pretty big fires and just checking in every day like do we need to evacuate or luckily they took a month it took them a month to put that fire out
1: wow it's pretty terrifying stuff yeah it is do you have like a bag, kind of pipe to go and stuff then are you always a little bit on alert when it comes to this time of the year
0: yeah, we have, like, a box that's got, like, hard drives <laughs> and <laughs> passports and, you know, birth Childhood certificates. And, and And not even, just, like, <laughs> data. And just, you know, I think if we had more time, like, we'd figure stuff out. But this is just the box of, like, okay, if we've got to run, like, this is the box.
1: Hank, was it not? Did Rick Rubin's studio not get burned down a couple of years ago with it? Uh,
0: I... That I mean, I'm not sure, but that wouldn't surprise me because he's in Malibu, and they definitely get a lot of. It's pretty flammable up there. Yeah, it's all it's all so weird.
1: It's just all about crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, enough about like the weather and global one, war- <laughs> global warming and global disasters, and um,
1: I- we've got the depressing part out the way to start with. <laughs> yeah, I'm pushing forward for a positive podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can tell you my story about working at Rick Rubin's studio, if if you want to change shift gears.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I
0: I got a call from my publisher. This was probably this must have been like four or five years ago, and they were like, "Oh, we're doing a, like a writing camp for Justin Bieber." And at this time, I was like, "Oh, I should do more like top line writing and just try and you know write more songs for other people." So I went to this writing camp at, and it was at. Um, it was a Rick Rubin studio, and he had all these different writers in different rooms. And I got to work in this studio that was—it was an old tour bus.
1: Oh, Dylan's one.
0: Yeah, it was Bob Dylan's tour bus. Yeah. Yeah. You know all about it, then. And he <laughs> and then he was saying that he mixed the Kanye album in that tour bus. I was like, that's that's amazing because it didn't even sound that great in there but I was like okay you can make mix yeah anywhere. I was gonna say
1: does that work acoustically
0: it'd be a little bit tinny would it or? it was pretty dead but I don't I don't know he made it work it sounded good but then they ended up scrapping all of that material and they went in a whole different direction with the album
1: <laughs> I guess sometimes fun. you gotta do that don't you yeah I was listening to you on Joshua Moriarty's podcast this morning the bottom of it
0: oh yeah that was good that was really good I liked yeah he's uh, been on
1: he's been on here it. a couple of times friend of the show but it was really interesting because it was a part, I think it was kind of towards the end of it in the conversation where you were saying that, I think you were talking a little bit about religion and you said that your conception of him, you know, is very much a small part of who he is as a whole because you'd only had a couple of conversations with him or whatever. How much of a perception of you do you feel that people can get from your music?
0: Um, I think they can get, I think they can definitely get a, a perception of, I don't know. Depends how well they're listening. Depends how closely they're listening. I think there's definitely a lot of like inner world, you know, things that I think about that I put into the music. I don't know. People I think people always project things onto other people that they don't know or that they only know through their work or their their music. It's an interesting question, but yeah, I have no idea.
1: I guess because your music is quite a kind of distilled version of yourself to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, in some ways it's distilled and in some ways it's more... um, In some ways there's parts of my music that are more vulnerable or um, intimate than maybe I even am with people in my life that I'm close to, which is like a weird dichotomy. Why do you think that is? I think because music is... uh, It's... It's easy to open up and say things in a way, maybe that you wouldn't say in real life because it's kind of disguised with um, a melody and some <laughs> some, uh, some electronic drums. I don't know. It feels like a, a format that's or a medium that's that allows you to be a bit more like whimsical and also a bit more coded. Maybe you can, like, for instance. I mean, people can listen to songs and have not really any idea what they're truly about until they hear what they're about, or until they kind of really dig into the to the lyrics. Like, for instance, like black people will always ask me, like, "What is Black and Gold about?" And I mean, I've given multiple answers about that question, but I mean, it is like an existential song about looking for meaning in life and searching for god is there god is there a higher power like what is the universe um if there is a god like i want to be a part of that vibe (laughs) and but people aren't thinking about that when they're just like singing along in the car or in the club or whatever i think they're just like
1: i don't know kind of hiding in plain sight a little bit yeah very that I was just thinking about you know what you were saying there with how you're able to sometimes be a little bit more vulnerable in your music and perhaps more vulnerable than you can be in conversations with people that you're close with. I know you do a lot of you did a lot of the promo shoots and stuff yourself on the last record too. Does that kind of carry into that side a bit in the aesthetics too?
0: Yeah, I mean, that I think that's definitely showing a side of I don't know at least how my brain works visually, but. A lot of that comes down to just control. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, I think. Yeah, just like being more in control of. So I think there was a lot of times in my life when I was younger and even like young adulthood where I felt very out of control in a lot of ways. And I don't know as I've gotten older, and in some maybe in some good ways and in some bad ways, I think. I've gotten a a bit more controlling of like my environment and my, you know, what I'm doing and what I'm putting out and being really selective and being just, I don't know, very controlling. I don't know. I'm super controlling. Let's just be, let me just be really honest.
1: (laughs) It's kind of funny then that you live in a place with such crazy, you know, natural weather then where you're very much out of control of what's going on with that. Yeah, and that's the,
0: the thing is I'm actually pretty good at letting go of control in a lot of ways which doesn't sound like it makes sense. I'm controlling and then I get to a point where I realize like I actually have no control and I'm like, oh, okay, I can I can accept that. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, would that be the same when you're like working on a record? Do you eventually get to a point where you just feel like you have to let it go? Yeah, otherwise
0: it never comes out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's the idea that it's never finished only abandoned
0: oh that is yes it's that's really I think that's really really true it's it's never finished only abandoned or like relinquished like it's just at some point you just have to go, okay, this is done and that's something I'm trying to do a little differently on this album is the last album I did was very you know it was like a, a tribute to to pop music of a certain era it was very shiny and poppy and i you know worked really hard on the details and vocal production was incredibly layered and the next i'm starting another album now and i'm just kind of trying to be a bit more like fast and loose and a bit reckless and a bit more experimental and just not as perfection not as not as much of a a perfectionist with it
1: are you more in control of different parts of the process then when you're approaching it in that way how do you mean in terms well if we think back to the last one we could say that what you were very in control of was the production and kind of the style that you were going for with it With this one because you have that need to kind of control it do you turn that attention to detail to different parts of the music when it's kind of more fast and loose overall
0: i guess maybe this is an exercise in me trying to to like to relinquish some control But to relinquish control to like the creative forces, the muse, I guess. Like I don't know. There's. I'm just. I'm still in the experimental phase. But my my mantra is kind of like push, like be, be more, experiment more. Just I'm trying to like let go of some of the patterns and the tools and the like production techniques that I have done for a long time, and just like. I don't know. Let's see what would happen if I put this vocal through a disgusting sounding amp. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> I'm playing, and I think that's honestly because partly because of the lockdown lifestyle and just the I don't know. I think a lot of creatives have just. Is kind it
1: surprising of, you so far? Yeah, it is. Is there anything that you've learned as a result of that at this point in the kind? Of, are you quite early on in the process, or how far into it are you? Um,
0: yeah, I'm early. Yeah, I'm early on. I would have. If you'd asked me two weeks ago, I would have said I'm further along than I would tell you I am now.
1: What happened in that two weeks?
0: (sighs) I just realized that I'm still in the like research and development phase. Like I have a lot of kind of sketch ideas written, but I realized that there's a, there's a certain type of way that I operate when I'm making a. A larger album, like a you know, an EP or an album. I heard Alexander McQueen talking about how he works when he's well, when he was designing clothes and he would kind of travel for a few months and then just like do a lot of busy work and then he would just kind of purge it all within like a really short period of time and just make everything really quickly before it was supposed to come out. and I think I do something similar to that where I I kind of do a lot of sketches and I'll have you know 20 sessions or tw- you know 20 yeah 20 sessions with like bits of production and maybe this song has a chorus and maybe that song has a verse or a melody. And also I recently have f- been diagnosed with ADHD. So this very much makes sense with that. I kind of just chip away at things. And then at the end, I just like put it all together kind of like in a manic episode.
1: It's almost like how McQueen, you know, would have a lot of different variations (laughs) on one style with one kind of outfit.
0: Well, I think he would just, it was like very much a mood board up until then, like, you know, just kind of doing loose sketches of, of a mood to try and I think it's because I I like things to feel like a cohesive project. And if they are all done kind of separately individually, I think maybe they lose a bit of that. I don't know. That's just for me. Also, I just heard Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis talking about how they made Janet Jackson's control album in six weeks. And I was like, oh, well, that's why it's cohesive. It's because they just sat down and made it all at the same time.
1: Way from start to finish in six weeks, like writing the songs in that time too.
0: Yeah, they said they wrote it and recorded it in six weeks. That's just unfair. I know. <laughs> I was like, oh wow, this.
1: I feel very sad. <laughs> <laughs> did you see the uh, Did you see the McQueen documentary that came out a few years back? No, I didn't see it.
0: I didn't see it. I think I was like, I should watch it. I think I was at it a worth checking bit. out. Yeah, yeah. I should see it. I I. Gotten to know him in the last like couple of years of his life, and I was really sad when he passed away. And I think I, I don't know. I was just like, oh, I don't want to watch this yet, but I'll I will watch it
1: at some point. Yeah, it it does get a bit tough towards the end of it. It's very much a kind of standard talking heads documentary, but the subject is so fascinating, and it's got such an enigmatic character at the heart of it that yeah it gets away with it.
0: Yeah. He's amazing. He was like a Scottish legend.
1: Were you in London at the same time? Were you kind of operating in similar circles? Yeah.
0: We, um, I met him in London the first time I, (laughs) first time I met him, I was doing a, a show at Soho house or something in London, which is like a, a members club there for people that don't know. And it was like, you know, just a. Kind of like an industry thing, like people who are members of the club can come to the show or, or some press and stuff. And the power was the power went out for the whole block, so we didn't do the show. But ended up um, just kind of like sitting down with Lee with some candles and some food and just like talking and um, because he'd come to see the show. And then we rescheduled the show for like a week later, and then. <laughs> he's like, okay, I'm I'm going to come back to the show. I was like, okay, sure. No. And he came back and he, and he showed up with a bunch of people and he, he brought Kate Moss <laughs> <laughs> to the show. This is such a, this is such a funny night because I, Kate Moss came, ended up like kind of having a, a laugh with them. She came up on stage I used to do this cover of Gypsy Woman by Crystal Waters. I used to always do it in my live shows around that time, like for for my first album. And she came up on stage at the end and was like dancing. And there was a random like pole in the middle of this stage. And I ended up climbing up it and like sliding down and actually fractured (laughs) both of my, like a hairline fractured both of my, my legs. Oh, which I didn't know for like a week <laughs> that I'd done that. Did it not hurt? Yeah, it hurt, but I just thought I'd bruised them. Yeah, wow, that was a whole tangent, but I just thought that was a funny that was a funny story and a funny evening. <laughs> Broke my legs in front of Kate Moss.
1: When you're in a setting like that, how do you kind of is there an energy there that you can feed off of? In a members club, it's a, it feels like an interesting place to kind of perform a show.
0: Yeah, it w- <laughs> it was. I think at that particular time I was just a, a lot like looser and like wilder and I don't know. I think I like I got sober several years ago and stopped drinking and everything. And I think since then I've become like much more introverted and I get a bit more social anxiety. But I mean, then I was just like, yeah, I was up for it. And
1: Although you're saying you get a little bit more social anxiety now, Imagine it was maybe always there, but the drinking was oh, kind of yeah. just a way to, oh yeah, yeah
0: definitely dampen oh, it. One million percent,
1: yes. You're quite into your uh, like your meditation and stuff now, right? Yeah. Does that help to kind of dampen it and control it?
0: Um, it definitely helps with anxiety. Also, it's it, well. I guess it's hard to know how much social anxiety remains because there's not been a lot of social there now that things have started to open up here like the social engagements that I've been to have been pretty limited and pretty it's mostly just people that I that I know but it I mean it's actually I think I just don't like being environments where people are like arrogant and have a chip on their shoulder and there's where there's like this kind of social, hierarchy. It just reminds me of high school, like going to a club where it's like, there's like a VIP section and I don't know. I'd rather just be an environment where everyone's like chill (laughs) (laughs) and like not feeling like they have to project their insecurity onto onto everybody.
1: Is that why you moved to LA, a city known for its lack of ego? (laughs) (laughs) I think actually there's this
0: very weird misconception about LA I think because people do get this like very myopic view about LA that's based on media and TV and and celebrity and stuff but there's there's so much more in this city and there's so many cool people here and there's so much diversity here and so many creative people and there's a whole other side to LA that's really grounded and really down to earth
1: yeah, I guess it's the same as any big city where you can find, or rather, once you find your community, it's pretty cool. Yeah. How long did it take for you to find that? Well,
0: I hated LA when I was, because I moved here when I was a kid. I moved here, I moved to Southern California uh, when I was 10, and definitely had a really hard time adjusting. And there was like a big culture shock. And I think it was. Uh, maybe that's when my social anxiety kicked in it was just kind of hard to connect and you know kids were mean and it was like when you're different at that age everyone just picks on you and you know like had a funny accent and stuff and didn't know what things meant and so and then going to high school I really just didn't I became, I was like full on Anglophile I was like listening to British music and like culture and magazines and wanted to move to London. So I left LA when I was 17, moved to London. was like, I'm never going back to LA. My family was still here, but it wasn't until in my twenties that I really kind of fell in love with, with this city and started to feel really at home here.
1: Had you changed in any way in the interim or why do you think it was that you fell in love with it when you returned? I think
0: because I was able to make my own connection to the city instead of being, you know, part of a family unit where it's like this is where we live, this is where you go to school, these are our circle of friends, I think coming back to LA as a as a young adult and getting to kind of explore the city in it in my own way
1: i guess well after you've been to london and you've kind of had your success there are maybe the doors a little bit more open to find the cool people when you return
0: oh well i had not had any success at this point i <laughs> this that came later i moved i moved back to london this at this time moving back to la i'd just been uh, a major flop like i I'd moved to London to, you know, find success in the the music industry and da-da-da-da-da, and then just kind of came back to LA, like, really poor, really hungry, like, with my tail between my legs. Like, yeah, with kind of nothing to show for it other than being probably, like, 30 pounds underweight and having a cool haircut.
1: (laughs) 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 Did you still believe in yourself at that point, do you think, overall? You still have faith in yourself. Oh, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'd, I've i never like, I guess I've always, I've always, def- I've had like an inner confidence, like a quiet inner confidence. I don't think it that, that maybe sometimes is manifested as, as arrogance, but I just, I've always known that I'm supposed to make music and that's what I love doing and that's what I'm good at doing and regardless of whatever the reaction or response to that is, like, that's what I'm here to do.
1: Is that what the drive comes from or is the drive kind of a separate thing from that, do you think?
0: That's a good question. I think the drive at that time was like maybe a bit more of like a hunger that was, I don't know, part of like actually needing to earn some money and also maybe like a bit of a need to like prove myself and find some self, some validation, I think
1: the stakes are quite high at that time as well. Cause it's like you either survive or you don't. Yeah. Like there's no in between. You either have to make it or you, or you don't. Yeah. Are you able to thrive within that pressure though? Um, I
0: think at the time, I don't know. It's, it is really, it's, there's a lot of, you know, now I'm, I'm like well into my thirties. There's a lot of fit, like behavior and things from other people that I just don't put up with anymore. But I think at, that time just being really young and and not having boundaries and also maybe being a little bit desperate and also just being kind of up for anything fly by the seat of your pants just i just kind of got swept up in a lot of stuff and i didn't mind just i didn't really kind of mind the hustle and the not sleeping and the just like going here going there and yeah i mean a lot of it was fun but a lot of it was like really exhausting and Just like weird interactions with adults that were kind of taking advantage of me professionally. And I say adults because I think, I don't know, at 24 years old, I didn't feel like an adult.
1: When did you? Um,
0: Probably about three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I think when I got married, I was like, okay, I am an adult now.
1: You're married, you've got the dog. Yeah. You know how to do your taxes.
0: Well, <laughs> I know how to get someone to do my taxes. <laughs> but yeah, just kind of looked around. I was like, oh yeah, now I'm an adult. But I don't know. I Growing up, time is really weird. And watching, like, you know, I have a lot of friends. I have friends that are a lot older than me. I have friends that are a lot younger than me. And it's funny just like observing people that are younger and the way that they think that because when I was 23 and 24 years old, I felt like invincible and I felt that I would, for some weird reason, always be 23 years old, (laughs) which is so (laughs) preposterous and clearly, you know, without outside the bounds of time and space. But it's funny just observing that in other people, there's like this cockiness and arrogance in in youth that's really admirable and fun and also hilarious because everyone's gonna get they're either gonna get old or they're gonna die
1: i think you gotta be careful too though because that feeling's great when you have it but mm-hmm. then you do see some people as they start to age they start chasing that feeling a little bit more as it begins to slip from their grasp yeah which isn't a good place to be and i don't think
0: no Why who do you have in mind
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> Kanye West
0: <laughs> yeah maybe and then but also the thing of like there's a curiosity in, in a lot of that kind of mindset that's that is really creative and really I think that's what I'm trying to reconnect with on this project that I'm recording now is just the curiosity and the, the being I don't know more open to trying things
1: what did you feel like you were trying to reconnect with um, Boombox?
0: I mean, that was definitely me reconnecting with uh, my childhood and and who I was at the time where I really like had a love for pop music and the kind of obsession at that age of like recording songs off the radio and listening to the same tape over and over and over again and memorizing the lyrics and doing a dance routine in the bedroom and that kind of feeling of fun and yeah i think i was i was just like reconnecting with the fun of of music
1: there's a certain hope that comes from that, i think isn't there yeah
0: i mean it should i think even if you're i mean i like my work to be fun i like to have fun in my life and i think sometimes if things feel a bit heavy and get the fun sucked out of them it's hard to be creative and so even though the, the project I'm working on now is not necessarily in the spirit of fun, it's like I'm having fun working on it. It's a bit darker too. Like I'm writing a bit material that's a bit
1: darker again. Can you have fun with music if you're not fully in control of it? Is it harder to have fun with music when you're not fully in control of it?
0: Um, I think, yeah, I mean, there's been times where I've collaborated I mean, I say I'm really controlling, but I also do love collaborating with people. And there's been a lot of collaborations where I've done work with other people where I haven't had any control over it other than kind of delivering my vocal or doing the top line or whatever, where I've really enjoyed it because I think because I trusted that person or I really loved what they were bringing to it.
1: Yeah, you know, the person who's in control has got good intentions.
0: Yeah, and good taste or just like a similar kind of approach to to life or whatever it is. But I think when it, when it started, when the joy kind of started to get sucked out of it at various times was when it just felt, I don't know, like really forced or like you have to do this. I've never been good at, I don't know, if someone tells me I have to do something or it has to be a certain way, I'm will definitely try and sabotage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's maybe your kind of roots because I feel like that's a bit of a Scottish thing as well. Yeah, you're probably
0: right. And also, like, I don't know. I'm very, I'm, I very, like, m- closely identify with my astrological chart. Like, I'm, I'm very much a Scorpio in that way. Like, don't try and force me to do anything. You'll get stung.
1: What are the other traits of a Scorpio? Scorpios,
0: what what sign are you? Aries. Ah, okay.
1: So, well, actually,
0: there's a lot of sim. There's some pretty big similarities between Aries, Aries, and and Scorpios. Like, um, well, Aries is a fire sign. Scorpios is a uh, I'm a water sign, but I'm very emotional, um, very loyal. For the most part, pretty. I'm very sensitive, but I like to put up a a wall that I'm not sensitive and that i don't have feelings but i do
1: comes back to hiding in plain sight with the music
0: exactly exactly and i'm you know warm and and friendly and generous until you like cross a line with me and then you don't exist anymore
1: i'm kind of a bit like that too i give people a lot of chances but once that line's crossed i don't go back i'm not i'm not great at being too forgiving i don't think i need to work on that a little bit
0: and that's where the aries and scorpio kind of meet up like Aries when when you when you've crossed the line with them that's it
1: that's also cuz i think i'm quite fair though like i give people more chances than they probably deserve but then once we're past it no going back yeah what else would i be as an Aries then what are some of the kind of are you do you kind of how deep into it do you go
0: i mean like medium deep i have friends that are like very very deep but i think living in la there's a lot of i think i don't know most people in my Circle now are pretty into astrology. Aries are very fun, like fun loving. There's like a competitive spirit where they like to be kind of out front and doing things, trying new things. And Aries are really good at, like, you know, starting things. And there's like a kind of a childlike quality with aries it's really fun i do see a bit it's funny how it lines up but then there's all these other okay now let's there's all these other planets in the chart that affect the personality as well like there's your moon sign your rising sign where it was venus when you were born like where's that's a podcast for another time
1: <laughs> <laughs> i wonder it's interesting you're saying a lot of people are getting into i wonder if it's like as a religion slowly out a little bit we maybe start to look back at some of these older kind of forms of things that don't require the same commitment but can still be quite useful tools to kind of orientate ourselves around
0: yeah i think so because i think humans will always look for meaning in life and try and connect with i think there's just this innate curiosity to figure out like (laughs) to figure out life and to know you know, what is this force that's higher than us that's like the the origin of life? Like there's,
1: I don't know. You kind of believe in like a higher power? I do. I don't know what it is,
0: but it's, there's definitely like a force bigger than me. It's not me.
1: I've often wondered if it could be, that, I didn't know there is some truth to it, but I wonder if they could be a force, kind of mortal in the same way that we are just kind of an advanced species of beings that have created us and then are off maybe popping in now and again for a visit to see what's happening.
0: Like on another plane?
1: Possibly, yeah. yeah. I think if there was going to be a higher power, it wouldn't be a god in the way that we think of it as being this kind of almighty thing, but just another species that is kind of advanced to the point where they can kind of create life. If we look at like AI, if we create artificial intelligence, do we become that in a certain way?
0: Yeah, and maybe we are the aliens. What do you mean? Well, like, maybe we came from somewhere else, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Who knows?
1: We're pretty, I mean, we're kind of similar, like, genetics, but if you look at how quickly we advance compared to everything else. That's true. It's pretty crazy.
0: Maybe we're a hybrid. Crazy.
1: Yeah. Have you ever see that movie Prometheus? Exactly. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a shit movie, but some interesting stuff going on in it, Yeah. kind of ideas-wise.
0: Yeah. No, I like Prometheus. It was kind of shit, but I, I definitely watched it a couple of times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's a movie that's kind of more fun to think about than actually watch.
0: Yeah, it's a good
1: concept. I heard you're quite into your uh, VHS tapes. Yes, how big is the kind of collection? Uh, it's it's like a really
0: weird compulsive. Th- I don't know. I just it's probably I probably have about five or six hundred tapes. Whoa! I know it's weird. It must
1: take up a lot of space. Um, I've
0: got them pretty confined to this one, like cupboard that's got doors on it, so you don't like walk into the house and see them. (laughs) (laughs) It's like now they've I've hidden them like a dirty little secret. But I do have in my studio. I have like a an old CRT TV and a vcr and i have some in my studio so if i'm like having a break i'll just like put something
1: on in the background
0: which is kind of inspiring and it's got its own like i have moonwalker in there right now
1: are they all kind of that era like 80s and 90s type stuff
0: yeah yeah mostly 80s and 90s i have a lot of like sci-fi and like in, in here i've got well i have aliens predator chucky then i have like Sinead O'Connor, music videos, (laughs) George Michael, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.
1: Did that used to be a thing? Would you buy music videos on tape? Yeah, I had a
0: few when I was a kid. I definitely had, there was like this Michael Jackson anthology that I had
1: on VHS tape. Kind of spanning everything through the 80s and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Did that inspire the idea for, what's the video where you're driving around in the car?
0: Oh, everything.
1: Yeah, 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 it feels kind of very, although it's not shot in that VHS style, it's got a very kind of 80s aesthetic to it and kind of feeling about it.
0: Yeah, there was, uh, and well, probably because that car as well, we, we rented this like early 90s mini, what the, f- what was that car? It was just like this weird 90s little beach car that we rented. But yeah, and I think that also that aesthetic and that vibe of like getting the friends in the car and. Going on a road trip is very like 90s music video.
1: There's a sort of innocence about it too that I guess ties into going back to that childlike love of music.
0: Yeah, there was, there was like no, it just, we were like, we weren't pretending to be that it was edgy or innovative at all. It was just like, this is something like comforting and cozy about this.
1: That's when you can have the most fun with it though. Yeah, it was
0: really fun. It was, it was so fun making that video.
1: Did you direct that one? No, my friend
0: um, Didi directed it. We kind of conceptualized it together and we worked really closely um, together on it and we kind of edited it together. Um, But yeah, mostly everyone involved was a friend. Like my friend Ted choreographed it and um, styled it. And I mean, all the dancers I'd known. I mean, a lot of those dancers were like, kind of doing a favor on the cheap for me like you know dance for Britney Spears and Janet Jackson and people like that so it was cool it was just like hey do you want to just come do my little music video let's go and they were up for it it was, it was really fun
1: you you've shot other people's music videos and stuff as well right though directed and edited and stuff
0: I have yeah just a couple um just for some friends but I'm I mean I'm down for anything creative I love I love I kind of love to do it all and I think that's another way that I become maybe more I'm going to stop using the word controlling and I'm going to start saying like hands-on
1: cognitive reframing.
0: Yeah. And um, that's or I think positive. why I'm very like hands-on with what I do is because I I I like I can be creative in whatever it is that I'm doing and you know whether it's like graphic design or shooting photos I've always wanted to do and i think as i get older i don't know who knows like i might move into other fields i've always kind of had like a a, a fantasy of being a film director
1: very few people do the same thing forever like yeah. even if people are creative they tend to stay creative but they you often see people kind of moving into their field whether it be writing books or yeah, moving yeah. from one medium to another yeah do you have anything in mind when you say you'd, you're interested in kind of directing films a genre, or an aesthetic that you'd be interested in?
0: Um, I have s- started, like, I had, I have dabbled in some screenwriting, but nothing that's ever, that I've ever finished or cemented.
1: Yeah, easy to start, hard to finish.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> but then the time that you do finish an idea will probably be a testament to the kind of strength and belief you have in that one.
0: Yeah, and I never try and force... Things. I think if there's like a an instinct to continue working on it, then it's like good to follow through because it's the same with music. I mean, there's a graveyard of songs that have, <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'll find a hard drive and it'll be like, you know, 2012 to 2014 and I'm like, well, what's on this hard drive? And I'll just, there's just so many unfinished things on there. And some of them I listen to and I'm like, oh, this actually is cool, let me drag this onto my new thing and maybe adapt it. And then some. sometimes I'm like, yeah, this this belongs in the graveyard.
1: <laughs> the melodies will be timeless though.
0: Not always. No? <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they're not good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when you say you take it into a new idea, how exactly do you go about transplanting it? Do you have to kind of alter it quite a bit? Sometimes
0: it... It's it's really strange, but sometimes it already kind of ties in with what I'm doing, and sometimes not. But it's it is a really weird thing, like how how some work translates to a different time than when it was created. Like I just pulled some stuff up that I started, you know, a number of years ago, and I was like, actually, this is kind of in the world of work that I'm doing now. So maybe it was just like a concept. That I'd had that I wasn't. It wasn't ready. I don't know. It is. It's really weird how stuff kind of pops up and feels like it's pertinent to it to now.
1: Had you had the desire to go back and make an album in this kind of soundscape for a while, then, and it just took a bit of time to come to the fore.
0: Not consciously. No, not consciously. I don't think. But this. I mean, this album I'm doing more. Um, it's really up tempo, and I'm, I'm drawing some inspiration from actually kind of the first time that I lived in London and was going to a lot, a lot of clubs and there's a bit of, I mean, I'm trying to push it more into, to now, but there's like a, there's elements of UK garage and house and drum and bass and stuff kind of in that tempo.
1: That's due for a little bit of a revival. What's well, like twenty-year cycles? Things tend to kind of move in. yeah, it's coming up.
0: Yeah, we're in it. It's definitely the twenty. Yeah, twenty-year cycle it
1: feels good to be back in a proper decade again. The twenties. <laughs> <20s. laughs> I know. After the naughties and the teens, I know I'm the naughty. Glad we're kind of back into something that feels okay to say again.
0: There was something really cringe about the naughties, like saying it, and also the time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> we were speaking about this with Josh, actually, when he was on last time, and we were both kind of saying, like, noughties in the 80s can kind of... They feel like in between decades a little bit.
0: Yeah, there's definitely, like, the the noughties were really um, trashy, which I guess the 80s were, too. There was, like, aesthetically this very, like, unwashed kind of, like, I don't know, all, like, the, the mullets and the just, like, the scrappy... There was... I don't know, maybe that was specific to LA, but I'm sure not.
1: I don't I love I kind of love trashy stuff though. Like trash oh, yeah. entertainment and art. Yeah.
0: Yeah, nothing wrong with it. It's just it was there was this like very pop sheen to the to the end of the nineties and the and the early two thousands and the kind of boy and the girl bands and the re- like reflective clothing and the shiny like sportswear and the bling. And then following that was just kind of like everyone looked like they hadn't washed their hair for like a couple of weeks
1: <laughs> they probably hadn't yeah <laughs> but then yeah the camp of the kind of 90s i quite liked like i went back and watched you've seen batman forever the val Kilmer one
0: yes i just i just re-watched it a couple of. yeah i rewatched ago
1: it too it's, with
0: uma thurman and um
1: yeah yeah, yeah. jim carrey yeah no uma, Thur- uma um, thurman's the one after i think isn't she
0: oh yes you're right she's the one with an arnold
1: I think both of those films have kind of aged all right though because when they came out everyone hated them. Yeah. But when you look back on them now you can kind of see he was going for that campy 60s thing. Yeah. And they're a lot of fun. Even I, if they're kind of trash they're really entertaining.
0: I enjoyed them. I enjoyed re- re-watching them. I watched... I think that's why I'm blending them together. Wait, who was the villain in the Val Kilmer one? It was Jim Carrey.
1: Jim Carrey yeah, and I think Tommy I Lee Jones was in it as well, wasn't he?
0: Yes. As Two-Face
1: coming back to that idea of them being completely over the top i think all of them had about three different villains kicking off at the same time yeah have you got them on vhs
0: you know i do <laughs> yeah i watched them on vhs this and it's it is a really weird like people are like but why well sp- specifically my husband is like why why would you watch this on vhs it looks like shit um but it does I don't know. There's this like quality that it has. It's kind of like warm and fuzzy to watch. Like it's not super sharp and it's, there's something for me that I find more engaging about it. And maybe it's the act of like choosing it from a shelf, putting it in the, in the VCR and sitting down to watch it because I think now it all feels very like you can just kind of scroll through Netflix for 20 minutes and not really find something that you want to watch necessarily. Well, I can.
1: And then just give up and watch 30 Rock again.
0: Yeah. And like <laughs> not really fully watch it, just kind of watch it in the background and just scroll on my phone. Death scroll.
1: Do you find you're a lot quicker at picking stuff when you're just going for one on the VHS?
0: Yeah. Because they, they're they all movies that I've, that I like or that I've, I have a bunch of tapes too that are movies that I've always wanted to, to watch that I haven't, which is really like, do you know, I've never seen Godfather.
1: I think that's a good thing though, kind of saving that for a little bit later on.
0: Yeah, and I, like and you don't I want still to watch haven't everything watched it when you're in your twenties. Exactly, and I haven't watched it yet because I, I'm still I'm waiting for like that perfect moment. And also, it's th- like over three hours long, so you got to have the time. <laughs> but I'll, I'll find that I'll find the perfect moment.
1: Have you got it on VHS?
0: Yeah, it comes on. It's so long that it comes on two. <laughs> it's like a double VHS.
1: Oh, my, I remember I used to have that with heat. As well, but it was on DVD, but then you had to take the DVD out halfway through and turn it over. What? And play it on the other side again, because it's like three and a half hours.
0: Is that the with Al Pacino?
1: Yeah, Pacino, De Niro, Velcro again. I think, yeah, actually, I as well. I don't
0: remember that movie being that long.
1: Because I think they only meet like twice in it as well, Pacino and De Niro. They have like yeah. two scenes together. That's a good one, though. Oh, definitely. There's no better feeling than when you're out getting coffee or something, and you have the idea of a movie you want to watch, and then you go home, you pick it off the shelf, and you sit back.
0: And then sometimes you rewatch stuff that you used to love and you're like, wow, this is terrible. (laughs) This did not hold up.
1: (laughs) Do you ever get that with albums as well? Um, I think with albums
0: that... Sometimes I've gone back and listened to albums that I've loved that are from a specific time and I'm just like, wow, this is mixed really badly. (laughs) But at the time, no one noticed or
1: cared. Yeah, back in the 80s, just tearing those drums up as high as they can go. Yeah, and
0: also there was this time, like when things started to, to switch over to Pro Tools and to digital recordings in the late, like more, more so in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was a lot of, I don't think people, I don't know if Pro Tools hadn't really kind of reached its full potential and also people didn't maybe know what they were fully doing yet, but there's a lot of, there's this kind of sound quality to that era that's really tinny and digital and kind of harsh like okay this is like a very this is a pop like a radio pop song that everybody I'm sure has heard a thousand times involuntarily or voluntarily but if you go back and listen to Say My Name by Destiny's Child just go and listen to it and listen to how it's mixed and, and mastered it sounds like shit <laughs>
1: I guess when it came out, though, as well if that's going out over the radio waves, you're not going to notice it quite as much because the quality coming through speakers wasn't what it's like now.
0: Yeah, yeah, super compressed and yeah, yeah, yeah. Go and listen to it. It's it's truly a mystery. I'm intrigued now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what
1: we'll makes something timeless then? Because when they made that, they wouldn't have thought it was going to sound shit in 20 years, and it was a hit. They probably thought this is one for the ages, but...
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I don't think that it's not timeless just because it sounds like shit. I think there's plenty of things that sound like shit that are, <laughs> that are timeless, <laughs> maybe. Um, to an extent. To an extent. I mean, who knows what makes something timeless? Only time
1: knows. And even something that you think is timeless 20 years on after it was made maybe isn't timeless 30 years on after it was made. yeah. That's an interesting idea when it comes back to The Godfather, actually, because I wonder, say you watch The Godfather in 20 years, is it going to have the same impact on you that it would have had if you'd watched it when you were 20?
0: Yeah, there's a th- I think that when you connect with someone, something when you're younger, it holds more weight.
1: In terms of like when you listen to it in your kind of formative years and it sticks with you?
0: Yeah, I think it makes more of an impression in it and um, maybe have
1: more attachment to
0: it. Because
1: you're so fresh as well, though. And nothing is—you don't have any expectations. Yeah. Do you think you take more risks now?
0: Um. I don't know. I think I'm, I. think in some ways. I have. I don't know. I've been feeling that maybe I'm more confined to to knowledge now, which is in a weird. I think. A lot of times, when I was making music, when I was a lot younger, like I didn't know what I was doing, and so, I didn't know kind of the rules of production or engineering or songwriting or like certain music theory concepts. So I wasn't so much tied to that. And sometimes I feel that maybe, <laughs> not that I know everything or anything even close to that, but sometimes I'm like, just do I know too much to just to be experiment? And that's what I'm trying to do now is just kind of let go of, kind of unlearn things temporarily and just...
1: Is that harder than learning them in the first place?
0: Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah.
1: How do you go about that?
0: I don't know. Just, I think it's just a conscious letting go and just, just, I don't know, making new choices, being more reckless. Like, this shouldn't work. This isn't right. This isn't the correct way of doing this. But like, let's see what happens. I have this Brian Eno deck of cards um, oh have you ever heard of, of of this he made this deck of cards it's called oblique strategies
1: is this the one where it's got like chuck everything out and stuff written down in it
0: Yeah, it's things like accentuate the negative like just weird uh little strategies i guess oblique strategies I like to pull from this deck and just kind of see what curiosity that sparks.
1: Do they work, do you think?
0: They definitely do switch something in the brain that it kind of get gets you unstuck sometimes. Like there's one card that I think it says, like, mute everything. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let me try that. And then I start muting everything and then gradually unmuting things. And I'm like, oh, I don't need any of these other tracks like there's way too much going on
1: but then on the last album as well there's a lot of complexity going on underneath the surface and in the arrangements but then it comes together quite simply overall and always has a pretty pure message at the core of it
0: yeah i think there was there's there was a harmoniousness through like everything was there for a reason it wasn't just there to like fill space and be loud and that was and that was why that the album, the Boombox Eternal, was so fun to make is because there's there is a lot of ear candy and a lot of subtle little musical moments that are fun to listen to on headphones and really engaging, which I mean that pop music to me was so much that.